0: Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we welcome back Shelly Hall, a retired Air Force civilian contracting officer and current Skyway Acquisition team member. We'd also like to thank Skyway Acquisition for sponsoring this episode. Shelly and I talk about the fairly well-known Buy American Act and a couple lesser-known laws that impact providing foreign-made supplies to the federal government. Okay, let's get started with my conversation with Shelley Hall. If you provide supplies for the federal government, you need to be aware of the Buy American Act, the Trade Agreement Act, and the Barry Amendment. Absolutely.
1: What these laws do is they restrict purchases from other than domestic sources for most items. And if you don't understand these rules, you can be eliminated from the competition
0: and you can lose. And that's, that's bad, Right. That is bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump into the Buy American Act. I think a lot of people have heard of the Buy American Act, but they might un- not understand the nuances. This is actually in FAR part 25, which talks about foreign acquisition. And it's kind of funny because there's a part about foreign acquisition, and then you get to the Buy American Act that says, you can't buy any foreign supplies. <laughs> Yet we have a whole FAR part for it. I. Uh, uh, what can you say? So the Buy American Act... It's a statute that restricts the purchase of supplies that are not domestic end products. So for manufactured products, it's a little different. The Buy American Act uses a two-part test to define what qualifies as a domestic end product. First, the article must be manufactured in the United States, and here's the important part, the cost of the domestic components must exceed 50% of the cost of all the components.
1: And one thing to note is that this component test of the Buy American statute has been waived for acquisition of COTS items, commercial off-the-shelf
0: items. So if I'm buying a new laptop for my government office, I don't have to track the source of all the parts in the laptop to make sure that at least 50% of the cost of those components comes from actually American-manufactured products, right? That is correct. Because that would... I don't, can you even buy a laptop? i do not. I don't think you could buy a laptop that would ever meet that test. If you could, it would cost you like seven thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, it would. It would be like that. You know what is it? They always talk about the NASA million dollar toilet seat or whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you got some inflation in there.
1: Yeah, a little bit something. But also of note though is the Buy American Act does apply to small business set aside. You know, a lot of people think, "Hey, small business set aside," so I don't have to listen to
0: this. But right. that's not I'm, true. I'm a small business. I don't yeah, have to do I'll do I'll all that do big that. government crapola. <laughs>
1: but unfortunately, you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so in the end, the Buy American Act is exactly what it sounds like. It is forcing a preference for American-made items onto government purchasers and therefore government contractors to supply American-made products. This is one of our democratic things, right? We as a country have decided that for certain things, we might not be as efficient as pure capitalism would allow. We will pay more in some cases for domestic American-made end products rather than buy it from a foreign supplier, even if that product might be a little less expensive from a foreign supplier. We're okay with some inefficiencies for, for the greater good, and Buy American Act is one of those things. Let's move on to the Trade Agreements Act. This is FAR 25.4, still in the foreign acquisition part, and which makes sense that this is trade agreements. The Trade Agreements Act allows the president to waive the Buy American Act for eligible products from countries that have signed an international trade agreement with the U.S. or that that meet other criteria, similar criteria. But essentially, this makes their products American products for the purposes of federal buys.
1: Right. Now, what you need to understand, though, is that FAR 25.4 does not apply to acquisitions set aside for small businesses, the acquisition of arms, ammunition, war materials, anything that you buy that's an end product for resale, acquisitions from Unicor Federal Prisons Industries, or anything covered under the Javits-Wagner-O'Day Act, or other acquisitions not using full and open competition.
0: So if you have a proper sole source justification documented saying, yes, we are not going to use full and open competition, you can't waive the Buy American Act in that. if you're going sole source. Interesting. That is correct. This is kind of tricky. This isn't something that you would just think of off the top of your head that, hey, there, there's a waiver, but it doesn't apply to some things. That's,
1: that's absolutely true. It's, it's very, it's very confusing. And especially when you see all these different clauses in your contracts, sometimes it's kind of like, man, I don't know whether I comply or not because I have this thing, I have that thing. And it it can get very
0: confusing. And that's why government acquisition or bidding on government work is not for the timid. Not for the faint of heart. There you go. That's a better way to say it. All right, one thing that applies only to DOD contracts is the Barry Amendment, and this is DFARS now. We we usually don't quote below the FAR, but this is kind of important because the DOD buys lots of materials. This is DFARS 225.7002. And and it's kind of a, you know, it's a companion piece, but as you said, you know, a lot
1: of people really, you know, are... DOD is, you know, kind of the, the big dog. So a lot of people are buying that. And so all of a sudden they think they've figured out by American Act and they think they've figured out the Trade Agreement Act. And then somebody sticks in the Barry Amendment clause and then they're like, what? So what the Berry Amendment does is it restricts any funding that is appropriated or available to DoD, and what that means is is any organization, if if it's using DoD funds, even if another organization is buying that, ah. the Berry Amendment applies. So that's
0: so it's not just DoD buying stuff; it's DoD money buying DoD stuff. DoD money, and regardless of the agency that yeah, actually buys right. it.
1: And so it, and so it's restricting the end items, components, and materials unless they are of wholly U.S. origin. And so it's any article or item of food, clothing, tents, cotton, fibers, woven silk, spun silk, canvas products, wool, fabrics, materials, and hand or measuring tools. So it's a Berry Amendment is very, very um convoluted and very specific. So it kind of overlays the two things we've already been talking about.
0: Yeah. That's a weird combination of things, but it's basically food, clothing, and, uh, shelter (laughs) as well as, as well as fabrics. So I guess, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a little longer list than you read because it would be incredibly boring if you read everything, but, but, uh, it really goes down to fibers, yarns, fabrics, and the last thing that is weird, or hand or measuring tools. I yeah, guess you gotta sure cra- got to buy your craftsman
1: there. I'm not I guess sure you got to buy
0: your craftsman tools from Sears. That, that's and that's right.
1: Buy. Get your get your tape measure. Make sure it's American made.
0: <laughs> so I got to say, the Barry Amendment is probably trickier than the other two combined. I agree. So, how is the Barry Amendment different from the Buy American Act?
1: And I think that's really the kind of the crux of the question. They really differ in their scope, thresholds, exceptions, and waiver authority. And so the Berry Amendment is applicable to purchases over the simplified acquisition threshold using funds that are appropriated or made available to DOD. And again, so that applies even if another agency, let's just say GSA, GSA. is purchasing the item for DOD. So, you know, you can't get out of it by saying, hey, I'm going to go to GSA (laughs) and I don't have to worry about the very amendment. Um, and, and unless an exception applies, it require it, it covers all of those covered items and they have to be grown, reprocessed, reused, or produced in the United States. And then for those supply purchases, it's anything over the micro purchase threshold. So, um, that's the Buy American Act. So that that's you know a, a you know much lower dollar level. So the BAA is applicable to the entire federal government, whereas Barry is DoD specific. But when you get into the Buy American Act, something that you might find that would happen is that you uh, for civilian agencies they can add a factor if you're going to use a foreign end item. And so for supply contracts, that's 6%. So in other words, it's your bottom line price plus 6% if the lowest domestic offer is from a large business, or 12% if the lowest domestic offer is from a small business. And then for DOD, it gets even worse. For DOD, the evaluation factor is 50%. And for construction material, wow. it's 6%. So, so in other words, um, they're going to add factors onto your bottom line price if you're not proposing domestic
0: items. So to sum it up, the Barry Amendment is for things being purchased with DOD money only over the simplified acquisition threshold. The Buy American Act applies to supplies or construction materials over the micro-purchase threshold, which is tiny – and it applies to everyone. You can propose things that are not domestic end items, but you get punished in the price. They they crank up the price when they do the evaluation, and then you might lose anyway. Yes.
1: So you get punished for not providing U.S.-made products. So it's it's a big deal.
0: Let's make sure we focus on why this is so important. Complying with the Buy American Act, the Trade Agreements Act, and the Barry Amendment are critical for contractors that provide supplies to the federal government.
1: Right, and and this has recently gotten a, a big push. There was an executive order signed by President Trump uh, on April the eighteenth of two thousand seventeen, which really strengthened the current laws. In fact, the Buy American Act is now going to be called the Buy American and Hire American Act. And um, there's there are several speeches that you can um, see out there that he's given that he is a very strong proponent um, of by American statutes. And when this executive order then becomes, you know, gets codified into the far, there will probably be even more layers of requirements on top of that. It's it's still in that process. And you know the bottom line is, is that your better proposal can be found noncompliant or thrown out if you don't comply with the laws.
0: Yeah, that's pretty important to know. And it's important on the government side. If you're evaluating proposals, you need to pay attention to this stuff. You you can't award to someone that's not compliant. So specifically on the government side, you just brought up the fact that the current administration is a very strong advocate for using domestic end items in in federal contracts and the Hire American Act, for for hiring American employees to do the work. The thought process,
1: which makes sense, is that using domestic products increases the U.S. economy and it encourages U.S. businesses to develop competitively priced domestic items because, you know, the reality is, I don't know, most things I pick up around my house, uh, you know, they say, you know, made in Taiwan, made in China or whatever. And, And I'm okay with that because I don't feel like I need a wrench that, you know, whatever. I don't care when I buy it.
0: You don't necessarily want to pay more for an american Yeah, experience.
1: I don't want to be, pay more for, you know, I don't know, the, the snap-on version of the tool or whatever, which is <laughs> American-made. But so it's trying to encourage those U.S. businesses to get those manufacturing prices down to be competitive with those foreign-end items. And, you know, of course, it is the law.
0: And this is super complicated from an economic standpoint. The, the theory that we're going with here is that more domestic products is a boost to the U.S. economy, and it encourages us to to develop more competitively priced supplies you know, made in U.S.A. supplies. In reality, it's a lot more complicated than that, and I think a lot of economists would argue that that's not really true in all cases. And in a lot of times, there really is no way – for us to be competitive for some things that are manufactured in other countries with a lot lower labor costs but regardless it's the law and we've decided that it's okay to pay a little more for federal government purchases to keep the economy flowing like this i i i think it's a good thing i agree so we just talked about the sort of the government acquisition perspective, and then I might have drifted it into some sort of like Americana rah-rah perspective there for I, a moment. A, a little moment. bit.
1: A little bit. That's okay. Let's wave the <laughs> flags.
0: From the industry side, you already nailed why industry should care. If you don't know how to play by these rules, you're not going to win government work. It's bad. And even after award, we always talk about the acquisition time zones. Most of the stuff we've been talking about is reading to see if these clauses are in the RFP from the RFP zone and submitting a compliant proposal so that you can win, which is the source selection zone. But on the execution time zone side, once you've awarded the contract, if you're manufacturing something, you have to be aware that you can't just swap out components that you would propose that were American components with foreign components. You still have to deliver a product that complies with it. So it gets really complicated. Bottom line is, You have to comply. It's the law. And you can't win if you don't know the rules.
1: That's true. And, you know, I had an interesting situation recently. Um, We uh, uh, was helping somebody with an RFP, and there was just this little blanket statement in the um, evaluation section that said all items must be compliant with the Trade Agreement Act, the Buy American Act, and the Barry Amendment period. Just a little statement like that. And so they had a list of items that had been approved that were sole source justification of items that had been approved that had to be provided by each contractor and some brand name items. And the offer that we were helping said several of those items are not Berry Amendment compliant. And so we, we, yeah, so we submitted a question, as you should always do when you have an RFP (laughs) and you find something, just throw in a little thing about asking questions here. We submitted a question that items 9, 12, and 14 were not Berry Amendment compliant. However, the offerer had found other items that were Berry Amendment compliant and asked that the... RFP be amended to include those Barry Amendment compliant items. And the CEO responded back and said the RFP is correct as
0: it stands. <laughs> so we were a little perplexed, to yeah, say the, the least. noncompliance was purposeful?
1: And we kind of really looked at everything to make sure that, you know, we weren't lost somewhere in the clouds. And they said, what should we do? And so my suggestion was, is they should propose exactly the requirement that was in the RFP because, you know, you don't want to be non-compliant, right?
0: That's the only way to be compliant is to do what they ask for.
1: Underneath each one, add a note. Offer is aware or has notified the contracting officer that this item is not Berry Amendment compliant and we were told this is the one we're supposed to propose. And that way, should it come up in the future, it would not fall on the offerer that, exactly. Why did you Why did you not propose something? So it can get very tricky when they put a blanket statement like that in a commercial RFP when really what they should have done was been more thoughtful with these items don't have to be – whatever their thought process right. was. So,
0: right, but I think you guys followed the right process in that you asked a question. You expected the question to, to either say we'll waive it for the, those items or – say, you're right, we're going to replace it with other items that are compliant. The answer came back, nope, our RFP is correct in its non-correctness. <laughs> and yeah. So the only thing you do then is follow the RFP instructions. You don't want to deviate from the RFP instructions, but note it in your proposal that you understand that their instructions cause you to be non-compliant, but we're doing what you said. Great solution. All right, yep. let's wrap this up. That was okay. a pretty deep story that that's actually a pretty cool story of how hard this stuff can be. It's it very complex. The Buy American Act, the Trade Agreements Act, and the Barry Amendment require contractors to provide domestically sourced end items for federal contracts. There are exceptions to these, like we've been talking about. It gets really confusing. So you have to be very careful if you're going to count on an exception.
1: And if you propose an item that is not compliant, make sure the CO knows and tell them why you proposed it. You don't want something to be in there and them not understanding.
0: Kind of like the story you just told. If you're going to be non-compliant, tell the, tell the contracting officers, this is why I'm non-compliant, either because your instructions didn't make sense, <laughs> or you got to be nice when you say that, or yes. you tell them which exception that you're citing so they don't have to figure out for themselves why it's not compliant with one of these laws.
1: That's a great segue. I, I, something else I was thinking about is, Even if it's something that you think might be questionable, you know, even just put note, this is a COTS item. Because, again, you just don't want to make it, you know, have it be something that's questioned and they may never come back to you.
0: Right. Don't make the don't make the acquisition office think that they might just throw you out because they (laughs) they don't understand what you're saying. Right. 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 Make it easy for them if you want to win. It is. It's important. And also
1: remember that if you're proposing those non-domestic end items, it can increase your bottom price because of those factors that we talked about earlier. If you're citing an exception, like we just said, be prepared to defend it. We had a, a different client than the one I was talking about, different different offer, and they were very comfortable with their definition of what they provi- were providing was a commercial off-the-shelf item. And I could have seen where, you know, it might have gone either way because right. it was kind of specific and kind of, you know, sort of kind of pushed the boundaries of commercial at <laughs> the shelf. But but for their case, we told them even to put a ju- justification in, this is the same item that we provide to this right. company right. and that company and, you know, all our commercial customers. It's the same one we provide. We have a commercial catalog price for it. And as such, we believe it is a COTS item. And as such, the Berry Amendment or the Buy American Act does not apply. So, you know, we wanted them to make sure that they put that in there so the CO didn't go, wait, wait a minute. What exception are they even talking about here? Because we don't think that exception
0: applies. Okay. I think that's enough story time for today. This is a complicated topic. These are tricky laws. I think it's enough to sum up by saying everyone needs to be aware of them. And if there's anything in your proposal that makes it even trickier, it's to your benefit to help the government understand that you understand how you're being compliant with these laws so they don't just assume that you aren't and eliminate you. With that, I think we're done. I'll talk to you soon, Shelly. Okay, bye, Paul. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks to our guest, Shelly Hall, And thanks to our sponsor, Skyway Acquisition. Get a personal license to the Skyway community and you can get contacts from Skyway's team of former contracting officers like Shelly. Visit skywaymember.com to learn more. Thanks for joining us.